when composers are especially starting out, you feel like you got to throw in everything but the kitchen sink, right? It's like, I need like 400 taikos and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what is that really doing? Is it really serving a purpose? Are you just kind of throwing it in there because you feel that you have to? Simplistic things and things added with intention are way more effective. Hey, it's Matt, and today on Composer Code, we chat with Taylor Ambrosio Wood. She's an incredible marimbist and a video game composer with a ton of insight to share. She had some really actionable ways that we can speed up our workflow, namely setting up our palette like an artist in our DAW, uh, which was a super cool topic. We talked about how to get gigs, how not to get gigs, um, things to avoid like being taken advantage of by uh, skeezy developers, which there aren't that many out there, but they are out there. We talked a little bit about some challenges that she faces as a female in a very male-dominated world of indie developing and video game composing, and overall, it was just a really great conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Taylor Ambrosio Wood. I'll ask you, because I saw all your pictures, how was GDC? Oh, it was pretty fun. It was like really overwhelming and exhausting. So I'm like glad it's over. Yeah. It's my second time going. Um, but it was really fun. And I got to see some of my friends who I haven't seen in a long time and, you know, that kind of thing. So I made some more good connections. Really, the most I made was the first time. Like now that I live in the Seattle area, I see a lot of these people. Yeah. Um, a lot. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's good. And then some, I mostly get people coming to me from the internet. So that's pretty funny. Like as far uh, as clients or whatever, people who want to work with you? Yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah, no, it was good. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see where, where these leads go and stuff. So That's really cool. One of these days, I want to make it out to one of those. I live in Orlando, Florida. So pretty far oh, okay. on the other side of the corner of the, corner of the nation. But um yeah one day that would be that would be great yeah if you haven't been it's super fun it's just i mean it's like really exhausting but it's it's a really good time and especially all the audio meetups and everybody's so nice and like you just they just party all the time and yeah well, it's no wonder uh it's no wonder you got sick it sounds like a uh constant meetings uh conference excitement and parties um your body probably just gave out by the end of it yep well, I'm sure it was worth it. Um, I I want to ask you just as we get started here, um, how you got started in music or, or when that started. I know you mentioned a little bit about it in your bio on your website. Um, and then also kind of uh, intersecting with that is how you got into video game music and arrived at the point you are now where you're, um, you're a video game composer. Yeah, so I started music kind of in a bizarre way. When I was about nine, my mom kept enrolling me in like after school programs because she wanted to find something I was interested in, right? Because I was pretty like, I didn't really have much opinions about much. Like she would always tell me that she'd ask me how my day went and I'd be like, oh, I thought it was fine, but that's just my opinion. Like, I don't know how the day actually was. Like I was just like, had no opinions about things and stuff. So she's like, I got to get this girl to like get into something gotcha. so uh, this is in ashland oregon that's where i grew up and they had a zimbabwean marimba ensemble at the middle um sorry the elementary school actually funny enough um 
And because um, Dumi, who brought like Zimbabwean music to America, like settled in Washington. So there's kind of like marimba ensembles sprinkled out wow. throughout the coast a little bit. That's so interesting. Uh, about, like 20 years ago. So um, my teacher at the time, she had like gotten into Zimbabwean marimba and had a whole ensemble and stuff and ran an after school program. So my mom enrolled me in that. And the first day I was like, this is the best thing to ever happen. Like it's so much fun. And all of the music is um, by ear. And so you just listen and watch and then repeat. And they're all kind of cyclical patterns and stuff. I don't know if you've ever listened to this kind of music, but um, you know, it's, it's all these kind of cyclical patterns and like interlocking patterns, kind of similar to like a lot of other African music styles, like, um, you know, Ghanaian music, like Steve Reich was very influenced by that. And you can kind of hear that in his music. So it's all that African like um, patterns and stuff. I just loved it. And I loved hitting stuff. It was just so great. Besides the cyclical pattern, and I want to get back to the African influences too, because that I'm fascinated with that. Besides the cyclical patterns, what was it that drew you to the marimba and that and hitting stuff? Was there anything else special about that particular instrument that was like, man, I love, I love this as opposed to other instruments or even other African instruments? Yeah. yeah um, I think it's that, well, the Zimbabwean marimbas are very unique in that they have um, like kind of a buzz to them, which is supposed to replicate the Mbira because they were designed to like the Mbira is, which is the traditional Shona thumb piano. I play that as well, yeah. but that is meant to be played as a duo. And so um, basically a, college in Zimbabwe was like, we need to make this kind of music so more people can play. So then they kind of developed the Zimbabwean marimbas. So they have this kind of buzz to them, which I really liked. And I think um, as opposed to other percussion instruments, like the marimba is so melodic, like it's really, and especially when you get to like a concert marimba, it's more like a piano really mm. in that the stuff you can play, especially when you get into four mallet playing. But I just right. love that it can be so melodic and beautiful but you're also hitting stuff and there's just something about like the cathartic experience of hitting things i know that sounds terrible but you know what i mean like it's a very like percussion and drumming and this kind of stuff is such an old um like it just goes back to like the dawn of time right of just people hitting their bodies or hitting skinheads or hitting um you know wood or all this kind of stuff so it's just such a like i don't know it's just a really great like and I think positive way to like release energy or however you're feeling or something. I don't know. I just yeah. really loved it. So I would just play it all the time. And I just was, a, I loved it. And I would go into the marimba room in lunch and just go and play and then play in the band. So I did that since I was nine for like a couple years. And then I saw, um, and then I saw our band, our marimba band played at a, place where there was also the local college was playing like the um concert marimbas right mm -hmm. so the ones we know you know we see more and so they use four mallets and stuff so i was like whoa they can use four mallets and they have like all these you know because the marimbas the Zimbabwean marimbas i played on were in the key of c so they didn't have any accidentals mm -hmm. so i was like oh, they have so many more keys and they have like four octaves and oh i want to learn these so then i started taking lessons with the um, this teacher at the college there um, and learned four mountain marimba and stuff. So I played that for a while. Then I got more into percussion and, um, and then for, so this was through middle school. And then in high school, I 
um, quit the public high school and did school high school online so mm-hmm. that I could classes at the um, Southern Oregon University. So I took music theory and ear training and the percussion ensemble and private percussion lessons and all that kind of stuff because I didn't really like the music program at the high school. There wasn't really much going on there. Mm-hmm. So I would just go to percussion ensemble. And that's when I got more into like the orchestral and classical percussion that we know today and like sure. playing with other people and then playing other instruments and snare drum and all these kind of multi-percussion stuff. So I love that so much. And then I did that in, um, because uh, it was online school, I kind of, I could uh, finish it in three years. So then I was done and then I was going to go to college. And then um, I was like, oh, I just, I didn't realize that like you, you weren't supposed to do music like as a profession or whatever, like that that was a thing you weren't really supposed to do. So I was like, I just play percussion all the time, so I'll just go major in that, right? Yeah. So that's when I was 17, I went to the Boston Conservatory, and I went there to study with Nancy Zeltman, who's like a really famous marimba marimbist. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the Boston Conservatory, majored in percussion, and I'm getting into the composing. Don't worry. <laughs> no, no worries. Take as much time as you want. I love this. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, um, so I went to the Boston Conservatory, and um, there I was a percussion major. They don't let you double major, and they don't let you um, like switch majors and stuff once you get in for a particular thing. Mm-hmm. So there, that's when I really like. I hadn't been composing for a whole all this time, right? So I just was playing, and so at the conservatory, I was you know playing a lot and all this stuff, and then I just like didn't really like what I was playing. Like I played a lot of marimba souls, I didn't really like them, and I was just kind of like, I don't, I didn't. Something was missing, and I didn't know what it was. Like I was almost gonna drop out. I was so mm. kind of unhappy. Um, and I then I really liked like at the conservatory we took like five semesters of music history. It was so much music history, and we had all these ear training, uh, like listening, uh, drop the needle exams and all this stuff. So I started like, and we had to do all the score study and always write essays about all these composers and stuff. And I was like, this, I just found that so interesting. Like I love studying scores and seeing how, what people were coming up with and how Mm -hmm. like the history of music is changed by one composer creating roles. And then the other, some other guy comes along and goes, I'm breaking your rules and starting my own rules. And some other guy comes along and does the same thing. And that's like basically, history of western music but <laughs> so what do you mean by a drop the needle exam what is that oh so so it'll be like okay so you have to go and listen to all the beethoven symphonies and then we have an exam where we'll drop the needle so we'll play any part from any of them in the middle of it for like 30 seconds and then you have to write which what movement opus number whatever gotcha. so they would do yeah it was like really stressful <laughs> but it was good because i like listened to so much music because of that so right. i i really value that I, at the time i was suffering but looking back i'm like that was a really good experience one of the things um, you mentioned was you said you know when you were thinking about majoring in percussion you knew that like that was before you knew that music was not a thing you're supposed to do for your career were you referring to just like social pressure of trying to pursue art like as a career? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, like, um, you know, when that time when I made that decision and then throughout college, then I, you know, and now, you know, people saying, oh, that's, you know, it's more of a hobby and you can't make money off of it and all this kind of stuff. And I just had no, um, I didn't 
know that at all. I was just like, why would I not want to do something I love doing? Like that didn't make any sense. So probably good um, that you had that, you know, that, that naivety in a certain sense, yeah. you know, and like, you yeah. weren't a jaded, you know, yeah. like, like, let me just go study business. Cause yeah. do, you, do you, I'm curious, do you still feel that way? Do you still feel, I mean, I'm sure now that you've been in the industry a long time, uh, or at least you've been in the industry for a while now, you've, you've graduated from school, you probably have different uh, perception. Um, do you still feel like it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a worthwhile cause to pursue it as a career and is it, is it challenging? I'm sure it's challenging, but what are your thoughts on that now? Yes, I think it totally is. I think, um, people who say it isn't, that's totally crap and they shouldn't be, um, so salty and so, um, <laughs> so pessimistic. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, I'm glad I didn't listen to them, and I was very lucky to have uh, uh, parents, especially my mother, who were just wanted me to be happy, and are just like, "Well, you're, you know, do whatever you want, and you know, we support you." So that I was very lucky to have that. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, you were finishing a story, I think. I'm sorry, I think no. I cut you off. Um, oh, I was trying to get to from starting music to getting to composing. I'm almost there, I think. Where was I? Oh, at the <laughs> at the conservatory. Um, I was playing the pieces, looking at the composers, upset. I want to quit. I didn't like playing all this stuff. And it was just like, I don't know. This was like sophomore year. I was kind of done. So then I was like, maybe, and I was just didn't like these marimba solos. I'm sorry. And so I was like, maybe I should put my money where my mouth is to maybe try to write something. So then... I took lessons with this um, composition instructor, Marty Epstein. She's fantastic. She teaches at both the Bosque Conservatory and Berkeley College of Music, which I guess are the same thing now. So, but she, um, I took some lessons with her, like kind of, you couldn't take, again, you couldn't take composition lessons, you percussion major. So I did it through like the Berkeley Pro Arts. It was like this really complicated back way thing, but I did it. And so I went to her and she was just so encouraging and so nice and so smart and really would articulate why a piece wasn't working or why it would work. And the great, the, my favorite thing that she ever said to me was like, every piece has to be about something. You don't ever have to tell anybody what it is, but it has to be about something real because people can sense that um, like realness and, um, it's kind of like songwriters, like they write from their experience. Again, they can tweak details to make it more general, but you can kind of sense if something's like coming from a real place. Cause that's what it music is, is like a kind of connective experience and stuff. So I really loved her lesson. So then I was like, I love doing this. This is great. So then I started writing, like she had me write piano pieces and I wrote a marimba solo and a snare drum piece and like all this stuff that I could play that I was like excited to play. Yeah. So then it came time for graduation and I was like, okay, well now what am I going to do again? Yeah. And then she, you should go and study composition. Like you're getting really good at it. I bet you could get into a master's program. And I was like, Ooh, I don't know. Like those people have been like majoring in composition and I've just kind of started writing it like in the middle of my junior year or something. Mm -hmm. So then I just was like, okay, let, let me YOLO this. And then I just crammed like, uh, you know, you had to have like three pieces to apply to stuff. And I had taken some classes at Berkeley. So I was like, oh, they really know about this software stuff, which I didn't know about at the time, how important it is. And I was like, I, they have like people who are working currently and making money. So I think they know what's up, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they had their masters in scoring for film, television, video games in um, Valencia, Spain. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll apply to that. And, we'll, I'll, you know, I'll just 
I'll just kind of let fate decide if I get in. Great. If I don't, uh, maybe I'm not a great, maybe comp composing is not a great thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So then I just put together a portfolio and I didn't know what a mock-up was. <laughs> I didn't know really what virtual instruments were. So I wrote all this stuff and had my friends record it. So I submitted recordings for my <laughs> uh, application. Gotcha. Um, and um, scores, and I had handwritten scores because that's how my teacher made me do it, yeah. Marty, at the time. And so it was like super old school, so I can't believe I got in. But So then I got into that, and then I was like, great, let's do it. So then I went to Spain, um, and then that program was crazy, and it, that's when I really got into video game scoring, so to get to the actual answer to the question. Now, were you a um, gamer up to this point? Like, Did you play games? Oh, yeah. Were you influenced by games growing up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I loved, I would play with my little sister all the time. I had Game Boy Color was the first, uh, console that I had and Pokemon was my jam. And then I had a PS3 and just played so many games on that. I love the Assassin's Creed games, um, Dead Space. I love horror games. Um, yeah. So I'd been an avid gamer. Yeah. Um, would you say Pokemon was like your favorite soundtrack growing up or like the most influential soundtrack? I didn't really, to be honest with you, I didn't really like notice video game music until I like started getting into it, writing it. Yeah, like no, I love totally get that. And I the music, but I wasn't like I didn't really listen to soundtracks that much. I listened to soundtracks of movies a lot because my dad liked that, but not yeah. really of games. I didn't really realize that was a thing. Well, sometimes um, it's so baked into our nostalgia, it just feels like part of the whole experience. Like it's tough to separate, uh, you know, Green Hill Zone music from green hill zone and sonic one it's just all one package so i totally get that yeah i think that yeah i agree like now i listen to game soundtracks with like a more informed ear of like i'm actually listening to them instead of just enjoying them but i did always enjoy the music like i think the pokemon soundtrack is like one of the best game soundtracks ever it's so good and it's so memorable and it really is you mean you mean like red and blue yeah, I yeah. had. Uh, I think the first one I had was like silver. I think I started in the silver gold crystal time. Yeah. Um, but I was obsessed. So then at Berkeley, I was like, okay, game music's a thing. This is awesome, and I just loved it because it's like the puzzle of how you have to put your pieces together so that they work with the player, and really, the player is kind of a composer because they're determining when things are changing, when it's switching to different cues, and all this mm, stuff. I was like, yeah. this is awesome. Like, I think this was like the more puzzle creative thing that I was missing from playing percussion. So I just loved it. So I did that and that program was great. We just wrote so much music every week and had our music recorded. And then our final project was we recorded in London with the full orchestra and conducted it. And then we just had tons of recordings and tons of, and you get your music critiqued every week, like in front of the class. So you just got to suck it up. Right. So I remember the first week I was like, I don't want anyone to hear this. I'm so freaked out because I hadn't been really composing. You know, I was like, I'm going to die. Yeah. Yeah, That's really tough. Yeah. And then by the end, I'm like, can I, can you play my piece first? Cause I have to go to the bathroom. Like, (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome. So like, whatever about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's Um, really cool. Yeah. So then, then I was just like, then I was hooked. So it was really that program. And I finished that 2016 at the end of the summer event. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of that. I got into that, I guess. That's awesome. So, so that's, uh, that's really cool. And I really like uh, the fact that you kind of like uh, your ego 
starting at the beginning was like maybe not your ego but like the sense of being married to your work and like i don't want anyone to criticize it um by the by the beginning obviously criticism never feels good but how you learn to sort of accept it by the end i think is such a powerful skill uh for composers and pretty much anything anyone doing any creative work you know you have to yeah. be you have to be willing to put lots of stuff out there and get lots of criticism but keep your head up and and move on to the next piece so i think that's that's really valuable i want to talk about your composing process because that's i'm super interested in how composers you know we all we all compose differently and um and i think that's fascinating before i do i'm super curious about zimbabwean music because um i would love to listen to some because i i the, of the african mu music i've heard i love it all so i didn't even realize that zimbabwean music was a genre or a type of music so uh if you're introducing a friend to Zimbabwean music, what artists or albums would you recommend them checking out? Um, you have to check out Doomy because he's kind of like grandfather who he's passed now, but he kind of brought music to the States and he was a fabulous um Mbiramba player. Um, there's some really great groups. I really like, I don't know if they're still around, but Boca was really great in um, Portland, Oregon. And I have some, I can send you some links after this too, if you're curious or you want to link them. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll put them in the show notes. I'll put those two and anything else you yeah. send me in the show notes. Yeah. So that was, yeah. So I would check him out. Um, um, yeah, he's really where I would start. Um, and the Mbira music is a little bit different than the marimba music. Usually there's seven marimbas, so a bass marimba baritone two tenors and like three sopranos and one of the sopranos is the lead that kind of like cues people and stuff gotcha. and then the, the mbiras there's two parts the kutsunir and the kushara so they are like interlocking they play together interlocking patterns and so um basically they could just play for hours and you just kind of it's so it's really like if you're familiar with the music of steve rice you totally see where he's getting this from like um you know music okay i lost it music for 18 musicians yes um or like drumming or um god what's the other one music for yeah mu yeah that those two yeah those like kind of like um like hour-long trance pieces like that's kind of what beer music is really like and because it's like kind of to it's kind of like a very traditional thing and kind of like to kind of like pay tribute to your ancestors and stuff so it's a very like um in that culture it's like a very spiritual kind of instrument so yeah. um but yeah, the music's awesome. I'll definitely send you some links. It's super great. I would love to check that out. I've actually never heard of Steve Rice either. So I apologize oh, for my un no. unculturedness. 20th century percussion, yo. Yeah. Um, he's like a big uh, composer for percussion stuff. Him and like... Yeah, so he um, he writes all that kind of like um, like music for pieces of wood. Like he... So he, I think... Oh, God, if I get this wrong, some music history nerd's going to be mad at me. But I'm pretty sure like he studied in or at least studied the music of Ghana. And that's where he got all these influences from, I think. Someone may correct me, but he was he's a really great um, 20th century composer and does a lot for percussion and these kind of like, basically he kind of uh, 
a lot of his pieces have like phasing. So basically you'll play two patterns and one will kind of slightly speed up and then it will create a different interlocking pattern. And like piano phase is one of his um, popular pieces and that kind of stuff. So yep, check that him out. That sounds super interesting. That's really cool. L- let me ask you this. Are you a Paul Simon fan? Not that familiar, to be honest. Okay. Do you know, have you heard the album Graceland? No, I've heard of it, but I don't know that I've heard it. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's totally fine. I haven't heard Steve Rice, so it's uh, it's fair. But yeah. um, I am curious what you think of that album because it is uh, he worked with a South African band when he produced it, and it's got a lot of uh, like mm-hmm. Afro-Cuban, Afro-pop vibes. And I'm curious if that's authentic African music or sort of an American's perception of what African music sounds like. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, kind of like how, you know, we have Mexican food, how Americans think Mexican food should be and then Mexican Mexican food. So I'm I'm just curious yeah. if it's I, you should definitely check that out and let me know okay. what you think about that album. Yeah, that's its own like dissertation topic of like what is cultural appropriation in music and can you use instruments from cultures you're not from in it and how do you do that and that's its own whole i sure hope so that's the tricky thing because i'm definitely not african but i would love to play the marimba i think music's yeah i think music is more akin to food where it's more like you're sharing kind of your love for it so i think like the 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 Zimbabwean musicians I've met are just so um, nice and happy to share and like come and teach music and stuff. And like, so I think it like, I think it depends also on the culture and the people, but I think often it's a really open kind of thing, but yeah, that's its own, its own topic. <laughs> yeah. So you've, you've clearly branched out from marimba into other styles of music and other instruments. Um, just listening to your compositions on Spotify and um so i'm curious how has the marimba or learning the marimba sort of primarily influenced the way that you compose on other instruments or in other styles do you i imagine you feel most comfortable on the marimba um how does that affect the way like say you go to a piano and you compose a piano piece or uh you go to sort of you know some midi virtual instruments to compose an orchestral piece Do you think the marimba sort of, do you see things through the lens of that percussive marimba style or um, maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that I, I think that any instrument you start playing, a lot of composers, right, are instrumentalists first, often piano or guitar or something. And I think that does influence how you kind of write. Mm -hmm. Uh, I use a lot of, I I really like rhythm and I always think about that when I'm writing and that's yeah. like a big part of the things that I like and these kind of, I'm not, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the marimba as an instrument that kind of has influenced me, but the kind of music it's involved in. So like the Zimbabwean music and the 20th century percussion and all that kind of stuff, like the the interlocking patterns, the way melodies are used and rhythms, I think has kind of bled into my writing, whether I want it to or not. Yeah. And I think that it's really just when you're writing for instruments that you don't play, um, you really just kind of have to study how 
study that instrument, how it's often written for, how it usually sounds best, and then you can break those rules as you want. I mean, that's the whole study of orchestration, but it's basically, I think that the marimba music I enjoy kind of informs that, but I've also done a lot of study and listening to like orchestral music and how like it when I played percussion in the um in the you're in the back in the percussion section and you're like tapped it a lot right so you're just sitting there listening to the orchestra for like ever right sure. every rehearsal like two and a half hours every day so you have a lot of time to be like oh they've like doubled the the flute part with the xylophone and oh then the tubas are coming in with the bass line they're doing this kind of thing like you have a lot of time to study and listen so i think that's super important that's so interesting it's like an extra extra time to study the orchestra even though you're yeah. in the orchestra i mean i did to be fair i did play a lot of candy crush but i also <laughs> that I is also... amazing so now i know what the uh what they're doing in the back there when the, what they're doing they're... in the back is they're on facebook or playing can candy crush like, i'm telling you <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome well good to know secrets of the trade um mm -hmm. When you compose, do you have any composers that you take influence from? Uh, my favorite, like, dead guy composer, as I call them, is Tchaikovsky. I think he's just the bomb. Like, yeah. he's just the use of melody and his orchestration just, ah, oh, ah, oh, I love it. I love it. When I heard, like, a Symphony 6, um, the second movement of that is, like, just so gorgeous. Another thing that I should link, oh, my gosh. Um, I'm actually writing it but, down, yeah, but if you could link it, okay, even yeah. better. He, I think it's the I think it's called Pathétique, and I don't know what the second movement's called. I'm failing music history right now. Don't tell my teacher. Um, but that's gorgeous, and all all of the things that we know him for, the Nutcracker and all that kind of stuff. I just think his use of yeah, he just has such good melodies, and he uses rhythm in such an interesting way. Like a lot of them are kind of a waltz style, but then he'll do syncopated stuff. Like it's really sophisticated. Yeah, you know the time and like other composers weren't really doing that like he's just uh, i love him and then my favorite living composer is joe hisaishi who does all the Hayamizaki movies nice. right yes he's fantastic he living composer don't even fight me like he's he's so amazing his i love all of his soundtracks i don't know how he comes up with such good memorable melodies all the time the spirited away soundtrack is fantastic with all the gamelan like if you want to talk about like using instruments of other cultures in a really cool and interesting way like the way he blends all the gongs and gamelan and drums with the orchestra is just fantastic i love that soundtrack um so he his orchestration is just stunning and oh I love Rachmaninoff too. Okay, I gotta throw him in there. Um yeah, just I love these composers that have such a um unique style. Like you can tell that they wrote this piece, you know, they kind of have a unique voice, which I think is yeah. very cool. And just the way that they use um really instruments really creatively. Like there's a great spirited away cue where he kind of has a Piano that's, it's not a prepared piano, but slightly out of tune to everybody else. But hmm. you don't really even quite notice it. It's really good. I'll have to look up that cue, but um, it's very, very cool. And and then, yeah, I just love that these composers who just get really creative. And I'm like, that's a really interesting texture. And it's just cool and interesting. Yeah, it's always awesome to have a, when you when you find a composer that has like such a unique style that you hear the first two seconds of any song and you just say, oh, that's Tchaikovsky or that's, yeah. you know, Koji Kondo yeah. or Hisaishi or, or whomever. Um, 
and I wanted to talk a little bit about, I think it's super cool how rhythm is plays such a huge part, obviously, in, in playing marimba. But also, when I think about my most, or the, the melodies that are most iconic to me or stick with me the most from video games or movies or anything, it's oftentimes because of the rhythm. Um, it's because of the rhythm that the Mario theme is so cool and the Star Wars theme is so memorable. You know, those intervals totally straightened out with no syncopation or anything. It's just not the same, you know. So I think rhythm is such a huge ingredient in, in making a melody uh, memorable. And so I'm curious, uh, getting down to the nitty-gritty about your your process when you compose, when you sit down at your piano or your marimba or your computer, um, you've got an assignment either from a client or you've got an idea. Can you walk me through just sort of from start to end your personal composition process? And if it varies, you know, I'd love to hear about that too. Yeah, I think it's really, I think it's kind of depends on the piece and the project that you're working on. Um, <clears throat> What I often do, so I'll compose at the DAW nowadays, because um, I just don't have the time to like write stuff out mm -hmm. by hand or write out the score. Um, and so what I what what I often do, and again, every composer's process is different, but I like will um, assemble the palette first. Mm. So um, basically, like I'll get an assignment, like, um, or we could use Balthazar's Dream as an example. That's the soundtrack I did. And so I was like, okay, what do I want this to sound like? So I, so I created this synth. I used Massive. I used Digital Performer primarily. Um, and so I created the synth, and I was like, okay, I want an Imbira, and then I want, like, a toy piano, and then I had, like, a hang drum, and then I had some strings, and then I had a kind of normal piano with a bunch of reverb on it. So I kind of, like... I think of it like this is going to sound pretentious, but um, like how if you're going to do a painting and you kind of assemble like your your old the colors you're going to use, yeah. right? No, that doesn't so, sound that sounds super utilitarian, not pretentious at all. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So, um, no, that's that's really really good advice. I've been thinking about that a lot. So yeah, keep going. Sorry. No, that's okay. Um, I am prone to rambling, but uh, I so it. I assemble like the color palette, if you will, first, right? So it's like. You know, these are all the kind of instruments that I'm going to use and kind of load them up. And so then from there, I find it much easier to start composing because I kind of compose to the sounds and textures that I'm going to use. So it's like, okay, now we're going to start with this kind of piano repeating pattern and then we're going to add these strings or then we're going to add this bass line. So I kind of like, um, I kind of do like one layer of a part at a time often. Yeah. And then... Well, just kind of, I, I'd say, like, if I was going to, like, see how much time everything takes me, choosing the palette takes me the longest. Then composing is a lot quicker. Gotcha. So, like, okay. And then I will just, I, I realized this um, a while ago, is that, at least for me, I would, um, when I was starting, and even now, I wasn't very confident that I could, like, come up with anything good. So I would, like come up with something and then be like, oh, well, I can do, I can come up with something better and then come up with a different like melody and then a different one and then a different one. And then you've spent hours and you have like five or six different ways you could go, right? Yeah. So you, so you and, come up with like, like you'll just say, okay, I'm going to take this particular instrument. I'm going to come up with five melodies on this instrument. And then you have like five different avenues to choose from to expand out. Is that kind of what you're saying? 
Yeah. So I would, I would do that because, but I wasn't doing it from really a place of like, Oh, I want to have options. It was more like a, I'm not confident and can't decide. So I don't think that's a good thing. Like I wasn't doing it in a good way. So basically then I realized like the, and then I didn't have time for that. And then I would, I would realize I kept doing that. And I realized I would always come back to the first thing I came up with. Like I always thought that was the better thing. Right. And usually that's the thing that the client would like. So then I got to the point where I was like, I just need to like just stick with the first, my first impressions. So I think that we can, you can, when you're like trying to close the right stuff, you can really get in your own head and be like, oh, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. And then you just kind of could do that forever. Right. So I think you need to just like, when I assemble my palette, I just come, whatever is kind of the first that I come up with, then I just roll with that and keep moving. Yeah. And then that speeds the process up. And usually that was always the better option. So I don't waste all this time like second guessing myself. So I think that's that's a hard hurdle to get over if you're not very confident when you're starting. But yeah, so then I just I just come up with each part and I just commit. That's the thing. Yeah. You just gotta commit. Yeah. Use the thing and then commit. You gotta choose where you're gonna go with the piece and you're kind of harmonic. It depends. Sometimes I'll start out with like a rhythm, like, oh, I think of this cool drum line from this like frame drum that I loaded. Mm-hmm. Or, okay, this is this cool harmony I came up with, then come up with melody, or this is the cool melody I came up with, and then the rest of it. So usually I'll start with um, what I think or want to be the most important aspect of the piece. Gotcha. So if the most important aspect is the rhythm, that's where I'll start and then fill in everything around it. Like I like to think of composing as a Sudoku puzzle. So it's like, um, you know, it has like, you get it and has some of the number in there. Right. And if you go to fill out one square, it'll be basically impossible. Right. You have to kind of go with what you already have and fill it out from there. So it's like start the most important skeleton and then from there, that will determine what the other parts are going to do. This is so cool. I'm getting like, so excited. I can barely stand it. Especially so just I, thinking about the, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, the, the, the palette thing is so brilliant. Like I've been thinking about how limitations breed creativity a lot. And mm-hmm. in a sense, when you say like, okay, I have these seven virtual instruments and I'm not going to go beyond these, like, unless I really, really have to or something, but these are the seven instruments that I'm sticking with. That is so much better than just saying like, hmm, what should I add next? What should I add next? Because if I do that, and I understand, you know, some composers might might dig that. But if I do that, I'm like, I end up with like 17 bases. And it's like, do I need 17 bases? Why, why is this happening? You know, so I think the fact that you choose your palette is like a form of a limitation that you put on yourself that really breeds creativity. And I love the Sudoku thing so much. That is so true. Um, cause like, it's never good to just start with a, with absolutely nothing. Like you always have to have start with something like with some numbers, you know, and then you can, you can flesh out the, the quote unquote easier numbers after, but continue. I'm sorry for the outburst. I, I, I no, I agree. And it's, it's when you set parameters, you can work faster and better and more confidently in them. I agree when you have, that's why I don't like just writing pieces. Like I really don't just kind of write a piece. Like I write for a client or for a project because they've given me their parameters. Right. So like, yeah. this is what the kind of looks like. So I know that I can't just write what anything I have to fit this. Right. And so when you have your Sudoku all set out and stuff and you have 
your numbers. You can't just you can't just write the letter A. That's not part of the rules that you've established, right? So sure. it's your kind of setting. This is kind of the harmonic language I'm using. This is kind of the palette that I'm using. And this is kind of the structures that I'm using. And then that also, if you're making a soundtrack, like let's just not talk about one piece, like you're going to make 20 tracks or so, mm. that'll really help establish some continuity yeah, as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so that the really entire cool. album has like this consistent thread of instrumentation. Yeah. So um, that's kind of the process. And then basically I will, uh, I've recently just been mixing my own stuff. So and then I'll get to that. And then a lot of these things, like um, sometimes I have some live recorded instruments, but a lot of it's um, primarily mock-up. So I really try to um, kind of mix as I go. So as I add, like once I've set up my palette and stuff, and as I add one, I'll pan it and add the reverb or whatever. So I try to get it. I don't wait till the end is what I'm saying. Gotcha, so I really gotcha. get it to get the quality to sound as good as I can as I'm working on mm -hmm. it. Um because then also that'll help you inform kind of what you're doing. So if you're like, oh, this kind of like piano is kind of covering everything. Maybe I don't need to add anything else. And then, you know, and so then I'll I'll get to where I'm kind of getting finished. And then another really hard part is knowing when to stop. Again, it's like painting. I think painting is a great um, like parallel to music because it's like you could you could just keep adding stuff forever, right? Like you just add like you're like, I'll just add one more bush and then like next thing you know your painting's just all bushes and you've like ruined it right so right. it's like getting to the point where it's like um another great thing that composition teacher said was like every single note and every single thing that you add has to have a reason for being there sure so you can't just add stuff because you feel like you need to add stuff so like recently this happened like i was working on a track and i had like kind of a it was kind of based on the other themes from the rest of the game. And I had a piano, it was piano solo, because a lot of the other tracks were. And then I kept being like, oh, this, I need to add, like, I just felt like I needed to add stuff. I was like, oh, I gotta add some of the other instruments that were from the other track, whatever. And I spent like all day on this, right? And I was just like, none of this is working. This doesn't sound good, blah, blah, blah. And then I got to the end and I was just like, it doesn't need anything else. Why am I trying to add something else solo piano is totally fine so then i go to my client and I go hey what if we just do solo piano here what do you think and then i sent it to her and she's like yeah this is great let's do it because it's like it's 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 overcoming the like need that you feel like you have to do something when it doesn't need anything like sure. one time i spent ever listening to piece like there's something missing and then it was just like a shaker doing eighth notes i added that and i was like ah the glue that puts it all together like right. simple things like just like i think people like now i'm just like kind of on a ramble but I think people like when composers are especially starting out, you feel like you got to throw in everything but the kitchen sink, right? It's right. like, I need like 400 Tycos and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what is that really doing? Is it really serving a purpose? Are you just kind of throwing it in there because you feel that you have to? Simplistic things and things added with intention are way more effective than like, I just need to load a full orchestra and like shovel this stuff in here. You know, then it's kind of, oops, sorry. Then it's kind of, uh, it can be kind of muddled. It's like when you, you know, when you mix all the colors together, it's just black, right? So sure. it's like, it's, uh, it can be kind of a mess. So that's what I think also the palette thing comes into play. Cause then you're like, these are my rules. These are the things I'm going to use. Maybe I'll add or take away something here or there, but I'm, then I, you know, I'm not going to be crazy and I have to be creative with what I have established. You mentioned that massive 
which is an an awesome synth. Synth. I have it. I haven't had a chance to really dig into it yet. On a on a uh, impulse, I bought the uh, complete, uh, oh, nice. and probably should have given it more thought. Those darn sales, um, they really get you. But um, besides massive, what are some tools of the trade that you you know that one might normally find in your palette? Um. Uh, a lot of things are on a budget and accidental. So <laughs> um, I am a huge fan of like the one instrument freebies or like the one instrument for 15 or $20. Like, like um, the, I bought the tomato paste kalimba from Embertone, which sounds fantastic. It's like 15 bucks. It's just that. And then it comes with like a bunch of different patches and like those kind of one-off things. Like I don't often get like, I'm going to get this giant. Well, it's also the kind of, I don't often write like a full orchestra that much. I'm currently working on some stuff, but not that often. So like the, 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 especially when you're starting out, like the, yeah, I just have a, a ridiculous hard drive of the one-off like instruments like here's just a clarinet here's just a piano like uh for recently i bought piano in blue uh it's beautiful get it people it's like 90 bucks it's worth it it's fantastic it's like a very close sound and it's very like um very like real because it's not super polished it's really good um but those kind of things i love those so i have a lot of those and then i use digital performer uh what's the question tools that i use okay so <laughs> you're on the right track you got it this is all uh, great stuff on the right track. okay digital performer a bunch of one-off libraries contact um is my jam and then i have just an akai keyboard that i really like that um i can assign all the cc's to the faders um, um a nice pair of monitors because uh, i like to use that and then um instead of headphones and then um just a lot of again a lot of plugins i just find kind of one-offs um, I got a package of stuff with Berkeley. Um, I really love, um, isotope vinyl is what I used in Balthazar's dream because create those, that's the synth swell. I, everything I screwed up, it was hysterical. So it's like, I was watching a tutorial of disaster piece using massive. Cause I love the sounds and I was trying to copy it and I screwed up, but then it was cool. And then <laughs> I put isotope vinyl on it and you're just supposed to do it a little bit because it replicates like tape warble. Yeah, yeah. But I cranked it way too much and then it like crazy pitch bended it and then I just left it. So let the accidents roll, people. Like <laughs> I felt, I felt like, a little oh. disaster piece vibe from when I listened to the Balthazar's Dream yeah, soundtrack. Yeah, I was trying to do that and I screwed up big time. Like, I don't know what, I just didn't do it right. But um, It was a happy was little really, accident. Yeah, I just like let it roll. So... Um, that kind of stuff, weird sounding one-off things, weird plugins that we'll make. I really like um, different tunings and like kind of out of tune as we call it stuff. And then I love, um, oh, room tone. I just use room tone so liberally. I love it, especially when you're working with mock-ups. What, um, is, what is room tone? Is it just what it sounds like? Like literally the, the tone of the room you're recording in? So basically it's like you can, um, it can come with libraries or you can just find it by itself, but it's basically like a, just kind of the sound of a room. So it's kind of just like a. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. Kind of so I will add that really quiet. Like, so it's barely noticeable. It's like reverb. It's best when it's like barely noticeable. But um, if you're not recording it live and you just put that, like I just faked someone out with, I was sending them this track for the soundtrack I'm working on. They're like, where was this recorded? I was like, it's all virtual. Cause it's 
it's like um if you put that in there it sounds like it was a room right so yeah. it's like adding stuff like if you can find a library that has like um like if you're doing a clarinet one or like a wooden one that has the key clicks or breaths or um the the I really like like I love the soundtrack for Castaway because hmm. um, again that's on tape so it kind of has the tape warble and I love like these old like I love Jerry Goldsmith and um, these kind of old re- when I was kind of trying to study mixing and like trying to get better at it and listening to mixes like anything that can make it sound more human hmm. so less polished yeah and I know. It's kind of counterintuitive because you're like, I got to have my mix sound super polished. But for me, I like to hear the error. So, like, I won't quantize sure. everything 100%. Um, you know, if something's, like, it's not a 1,000% to the grid, I kind of leave it if it's, you know, I like it. And, you know, the pedal, like, uh, the piano, that's why I love piano blue. Like, you can hear the pedal sound and you can adjust that. Or if you can adjust the breath or the key clicks or add room, room tone, especially if you have a budget where you can only record a couple things or you can't record anything. Like, any way to make it sound. And you're using, again, it, like, using synths is different. But if you're using instruments that are supposed to be real, I think anything you can do like room tone. Yeah. I just throw room tone in everything. Um, is super useful. And then, yeah. So the one-off cheapo instruments, room tone, weird plugins, um, and then digital performer I love. And then, um, I'll use Sibelius if I'm doing parts that are going to be played. Um, but yeah, yeah. That answer your question? That very comprehensively answers the question. That's awesome. And I can't wait to dive into room tone. See if I can find oh, some yeah. of that. It'll change your life. <laughs> so when you work, do you um, find that you work better in the mornings and the evenings? Do you take breaks? Like, I'm curious about your actual, like, composing working habits. Yeah, um, I think it's important to kind of have a schedule. I was talking to this. I was talking to someone about this yesterday. I I'm not a big fan of the, like, I need to be inspired. Like, I need to wait for the inspiration. Like, I think that's a little bit baloney. So I think yeah, that you it can. it is for sure. I think that you can, through habit and practice, you can sit down and turn creativity on. It takes mm-hmm. a while. But I think that you can do that. So I think, um, so I do it. I do it anytime. I, I, um, I work from home. And so I... We'll do it sometimes in the morning till late at night. It just depends on when I finish something. And then I definitely take breaks for sure. Like I'll like maybe work in a two hour block, then take a 15 minute break or go walk outside. And that'll also help you if you're stuck. I especially do that when I'm stuck or like sleep on it if you can, if your deadline allows. Um, so I definitely try to take breaks or um, what's nice is if you can, if you're doing and you can have multiple projects at the same time, then if you're kind of stuck or sick of one working on, one thing then you can work on something else and then you'll come back to that with like a fresh perspective and be like oh i know what this needs boom boom and then you can fix it especially mixing um but uh yeah so basically anytime that i can um and then yeah i think that you just kind of have to set like kind of a schedule it's the same with you if you're practicing an instrument just kind of do it a lot and then sit down and then just like it's part of the like you just got to write something like you have to sit down and like, if you can't think of anything, you just got to start playing. Like I'll just start improvising and then I'll come up with something like you just have to do it. Right. Sure, Cause you could sure. 
just sit forever and be like, oh, I can't come up with anything. Right. Yeah, I think that's part of being a professional, you know, as part of being someone who does this for a living is like, you know, you don't get to go to work when you're inspired. You go to work every day yeah. and you make it happen. Same yeah. thing with, with being a composer. Um, on that note, I'm super curious uh, how you got your first gig. And I would love for you to tell that story. Uh, you're clearly, you're a very good storyteller and I appreciate that. Um, I'm like interesting. <laughs> And uh, uh, yeah, so I would love to hear that story, and uh, and just sort of how you how you got that first gig, because in my experience, it tends to be the toughest. But then uh, you know the next gigs. Uh, well, I guess it depends. But see, I've 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 never gotten a gig, but I I am uh, am trying to go in that direction, trying to um, break into the composition space. So I'm always super curious about how composers got their first gig. So yeah, feel free to share that whole story. Um, well, for, again, for everybody, it's different. Some, um, what I did was I finished, so I finished Berkeley at the, at the, you know, fall of 2016. So then I moved back home with my parents as you do. And then I was like, everyone at school had told me, oh, you have to be an assistant or you have to like apply for jobs or be a sound designer or something. So I was like trying to do that. And that just like, wasn't working. And I just don't really consider myself a sound designer at all and I didn't like it and I just didn't if you don't have a connection with someone to be their assistant or something it's like a tricky game right so I was like I don't know and I was like maybe I should just try to write stuff right like maybe I should just try to be my own composer or something so then I just I lived so this was in Portland Oregon so then I just looked at Facebook groups and like social media and stuff of all the indie game developers and they're posting screenshots Saturday this is my thing or whatever so I would just message them and be like, uh, hey, I like your game. Oh, so before that I had, this is important, before that all my school projects I had started putting on SoundCloud. So I kind of had a portfolio of my stuff. And so, um, yeah, I had like music I could show to them. Like I sure. would, it would basically just go like this. I would like Facebook message them. I did, I messaged so many people. Hey, I really like your game, blah, blah, blah. I think my music would fit in it if you don't have a composer, like, what's up? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And so really short, like, really nice. And just, like, sometimes, you know, they don't respond at all. But so really, um, really, the the I kind of have two of the first gigs. It was Balthazar's Dream and then the Yandari Simulator video. So both of those, I reached out to them. So um, with the Balthazar's Dream people, I saw their screenshot and then I just messaged them, here's my stuff. And they were like, oh yeah, we love it. Okay, let's do it. And so that was out of like a lot of people that I messaged that they actually got back to me and that a lot of people already have a composer, right? So you just kind of got to keep asking, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that's what I did. Um, if you don't like, if you live kind of in, Portland has like an indie scene, yeah, but it's not really like quite a hub. Um, so you just, yeah, I just use the internet. So um, and then with the Yandari simulator, my little sister plays that the game that's what's out of it so far and was like, you should message him because maybe you can write for him. And I was like, there's no way he's going to respond or whatever. And then he did. And then I did the music for his I did a couple tracks that are in the game. He already has like a c composer that he works with. So I don't work with him anymore. But I did. I scored this video where it introduces a bunch of the characters. It was like five million views, so it like got a bunch of people to my SoundCloud, right? That's awesome. That was great. Um, but that, uh, God, that was really hard project to do because it was like so many different styles, like um, in that video. So that, and then the, 
And yeah, so basically I just hunted for, I hunted for things. I spent a lot of time. That's all I was doing was looking for work. So I was like teaching and then um, lived with my, you know, dad and in Portland and then was just on the computer all the time. Just like, what can I do? I got to look for stuff. I got to try to do something because applying for like, there's not really very often like an in-house composer position, right? So it's not that kind of thing you can really apply to companies unless you want to be a sound designer or a game tester or something. So I was like, maybe if I try to begin my own thing, yeah. that's really the only option I felt that I had. Yeah. So then I got so then I got those two things. Those are about the same time. So then I was working on those, blah, blah, blah. Taylor, and, can I can I ask you a question real quick? I'm super yeah. curious. One, um, what Facebook groups that you were in that you found to be the most fruitful when it came to like prospecting and also just on average, I know like I used to be in inside sales, like cold calling Mm -hmm. basically. So I know it's totally a numbers game. Like you're lucky if out of a hundred messages, you even get one response. Do you, Mm -hmm. do you know offhand and it can just totally be an estimate, like how many messages you had to send just to get those responses? Because I think it can be discouraging for new composers if they expect like everyone to respond to them. I didn't keep track, um, thank God. Um, <laughs> but it could have been 100, I don't know. It yeah. was like, I was on there for probably two months maybe before I got them to respond. But you get a lot, you'll get a lot of... Um, you oh it was the indie developers like facebook group or something like indie game developer or something it's like really huge and they have screenshot saturdays so every saturday yeah, i know, just, I like, know that one i love i love that group i'm in yeah a, i'm so, not even a developer but i just love to see what everyone's yeah, working on yeah and then i wouldn't message the people who already had a composer because often they'll just whatever and so some people don't respond some people say hey i like your stuff but or i don't have any money um and then working for money again could is a are you going to get a good credit and people listen or do you want money and that's kind of a thing you have to decide but mm-hmm. um and then you i got some people which i also learned that will kind of take advantage of you a little bit like they'll ask you to demo quote unquote but either they already have someone or then they want more demos so they really just kind of want your music for free and it's a little bit shady so you got to be a little bit careful oh, wow. to not just so um desperate feeling that you're like oh they responded to me absolutely have to write all this music for them and then they like just have it this is this is the thing is when they make it a competition between you and other composers and they're like Uh, kind of ratty about it that's where i'm like this is a little suspicious because they'll just be oh well it's it's or if they don't tell you they're like hey can you do this thing oh it's now it's a competition between you and all these other people and then we need more stuff from you and more stuff and i'm like you just want all this free music from everybody and then you can just share. like i felt like perhaps this is a bit diva way to think but it's like i want people i want to work with people who want to work with me yeah no totally you know you totally don't want to Yeah. So it's like, or at least kind of treat you like there's a lot of people like when I was first looking that just are like, because they get so many, they can kind of get any composer. And I've had somebody say that they were like, um, they were like, oh, I could just get anybody. And I was like, oh, well, go for it. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Adios. Sounds like, sounds like you dodged a bullet working with someone like that. Yeah. That's what you later realize. Like now the clients I have are so nice, pay me well, like really great to work with. Like, 
you know, wanted to work with me. And that's such a better experience. So it's like, you kind of have to like, you, you, yes, you have to be willing to do a lot of stuff, but you also have to have kind of like the parameters that you're going to still feel good about yourself. So what I just felt like some of these people, and I'm glad I'm not working with them. I'm like, thank God. Yeah. Later you're like, whoa. Um, But they just, yeah, it's just, you know, sometimes you, again, a lot of the game community is super nice, but sometimes like when you're starting out, you just run into people who are just kind of like, well, I can just kind of get all your stuff. And they're just kind of like, treat you just like, they can get anybody. And then my motto is, is if then be my guest, (laughs) you're welcome to do so. If you don't think that my music or working with me is any different than anybody else, or it's of no value, then I'm, I, it's not going to be a great, because you also have to think like when you're, if you're accepting a project, sometimes this could go on for months, even like a year or so, these indie games. And if you're going to be like working with someone who's really hard to work with for that long, you're going to be like, oh my God, what have I done? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's when you're, when you're choosing these projects, it's like, it's kind of like these three things, money, um, what is the project or, you know, will I be able to write cool music for it that I can like have as a credit or whatever? And then how are the people treating me? Um, you know, are they nice? Are they, cause I really don't like, I know there's this whole kind of like culture of like, you gotta like really take it when you're starting out and it's going to be really rough and everyone's a jerk, whatever. And I'm just like, you know what? I don't got to deal with that. There are plenty of nice people and you just got to find them. Yeah. Um, so it's point. like these three pillars of like, okay, this project's paying me really well, but they're kind of a jerk, but it's, but to me it's worth it. So then you take it, but, oh, they're not paying me that well, but this is a really cool game and they're really nice. So I'm going to take it. So you kind of have to like weigh. And again, everybody's different. Like, do you have a bunch of student loans? What's your rent? Are you, do you have to also have a part-time job that you're going to not have much time to write? So you don't want to be being yelled at while you're trying to do it. Right. You know, so it's like the, it's kind of, it's not a thing you can have like a clear cut answer, but that's kind of like the parameters I was using when I was looking for stuff. So um, after those two things, then, um, this is, so those two things kind of are, were done in 2017. So that was the fall of 2016, that's 2017. And then, um, the people that I have now found me. So because of those things and because of the things I posted. So awesome. I think it's important to, um, when you're kind of building a portfolio and, um, taking projects, I like to think about, um, would I be happy if someone came to me and was like, hey, can you do a similar thing for me? Would I be like, oh, or to be like, oh, my God, I'm going to die if I have to write more of this kind of music. Right. Or, you know, so I try to think of that. So, like, I'll only kind of try to do stuff and things that if someone asked me to write more like that, I'd be like happy to do it. Sure, sure. Um, but, yeah, so once you kind of like snag your first couple things of swimming through the trenches of. Um, and then it's also really oversaturated. Like a lot of people want to be composers. So like, I don't find it. I think, um, another thing that's a little bit shady and kind of takes advantage is like when people post, Hey, I need a composer, link all your stuff. And then there's like a hundred composers that have like responded with their links. I see that all the time. I just saw that the other day. I'm like, man, what's the point? So don't, I would not, um, I would not. And then the other one, like Upwork, if you... Like that one will have, oh, I'll give you 20 bucks to write a whole soundtrack. And you're just like, if that's what you value music for, then like you don't want to work with them. Like, trust me. And so, you know, you don't really want I think it's better. It's always better to reach out or 
respond on like an individual basis as opposed to like a cattle call kind of situation because yeah. that in my experience never really worked out yeah um to post your links or respond to a cattle call um because it's just a swarm of people and who knows right. if they'll even get to you and listen to your links or whatever right. so it's that can be really um I and think it's, you kind it's of, kind of like arrogant, I think, of the developer because I mean, sort of like the equivalent of like, who wants to date me? Line up, ladies. You know, like who wants yeah, to be my partner? You know, and so it's like we're all grov- we're all supposed to like grovel to work with you. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's you know, finding clients is a lot like dating. Actually, if we use this comparison, because it's like, again, you want to be with someone who wants to be with you, right? Sure, sure. And also, you know. Yeah, you just, yeah, it's exactly like that. And so you kind of want to, like, do I want to work with someone who respects my opinion and who, you know, you want to have, like, a good working relationship because you want, you don't want to be upset later. Like, you don't want to be like, oh, my God, I'm working for this person. They're so mean to me. I'm so tired. I'm not getting any money. And then you're just, that can lead to burnout. So you want to try to, like, it's a balance between like, oh my God, I gotta get, I gotta compose it, I gotta get gigs and ah, I'm so desperate, as opposed to like, okay, this is also a long game and I don't wanna do a bunch of stuff that's gonna make me wanna quit, right? Yeah, it's a good so you point. Have to kind of balance that. Like, it's like, is it better to not compose for a little bit and then I'll find and then wait to get a client that pays me well and is nice to me and then I feel like I can, you know, you know, again, things are always hard and you'll get critiqued and all that stuff, but you generally wanna kind of like, keep in it and not be like, oh, well, I quit. This is so horrible. The indie, the gaming scene overall is a highly male-dominated thing. And the mm-hmm. indie game scene is also, probably even more so, very saturated uh, with males. Um, there's not, in my experience, a whole lot of female representation. Have you run into any obstacles, challenges, hurdles that you believe maybe are because you are a female composer in this very male dominant field? Um, well, I think, I think in comparison to like film or TV, the game community is really diverse because it's a really new kind of industry compared to those. And then so far, um, it was, I mostly kind of had trouble when I was a percussionist being the game community is in a, I'd say generally it's very inclusive and people are really nice. Like I moved recently to the Seattle area and, um, everyone's really welcoming and very nice and you'll run into other women doing stuff. And, um, like it's a pretty diverse community, at least where I'm at now. Um, the, the thing I had run into quite often was kind of like assumed to be kind of an idiot until I proved otherwise. Hmm. So just, you know, when I would say something, I knew about music or something or my music, I would get like a, Oh, that's surprising. Or, Oh, I underestimate you. Oh, you know that? Or, Oh, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, so it would, uh, oftentimes kind of just to be pre assumed that I don't know anything. Hmm. That's a little, that's, that could be a little bit frustrating, but it's, I haven't had anyone be like outwardly rude or, you know, mean to me because of my gender or anything. But yeah, you just kind of get that sometimes. And then, um, yeah, so 
basically you just kind of have to be like, well, uh, you know, and then, I mean, this kind of goes for anyone. If it's like I was talking about earlier, if you, if you come across people that are kind of mean or, you know, are, you don't really want to deal with, you really don't have to, you know, you yeah. can find other people that you get along with it. It's important to just, this is cliche, but be yourself because then you will find people who like you for you. And then you will like to work with them and then they'll work with you and it, that'll be good. So you don't want to, um, you know, if you come across people like that who are treat you like you're stupid or something, you just, you know, you, I would be like, I don't have to prove myself to you, like, whatever, right. like, I'm doing my own thing, you know, so you kind of have to have that attitude, I find. Um, but for the most part, I'd say it's a really cl- inclusive community so far. I haven't been in it that long, but I think really people, I think the, the you know, people like that are really far and few between. Um, I think most everyone's really nice and inclusive. And then, you know, you don't, usually those, you know, if someone's kind of a jerk to you, they're usually a jerk to other people, right? So yeah. usually they're not really going to want to work with them anyway. So you're okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like a young industry and a lot of the people in it are very young compared mm-hmm. to like film people who've been around and they're in their 60s, 70s, etc. Like a lot of these game company people are 20, 30s, you know, they're very young. So it's like, um, it's just a different, experience so that's another thing i liked about it is i was like i think i can you know maybe kind of try to put a you know weasel in here because they're very accepting and it's like a very kind of modern community so i think i think definitely it's a it's a good like um industry to get into for sure it's very rewarding to kind of yes you have your instructions and your clients critique and etc but to kind of have a sense of freedom while you can you know while i'm starting out and while i kind of the ability to do that in these in the indie scene i think you're able to do that quite a bit more than in a in the corporate scene mm-hmm. from my understanding yeah so kind of i enjoy these things where you kind of have a here's what i want blah 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 but also what do you think like yeah, how yeah. can it's really, it's really actually collaborative sure sure that's really fun um yes i'm i don't mind doing what i'm instructed to do and okay can you do something that sounds like this blah 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 happy to do it but uh the things i really enjoy are like let's collaborate what do you think this is what i think you know sometimes you like with one of the these current projects you sometimes are pushed in a way you would have never um gone like one of these projects i would have never come up with this combo of stuff and instruments unless i my client suggested to do so so it's it's it can be like really fun yeah um right now i'm working on a couple indie games that will i think come out later this year um i don't know if i should say that much but basically yes i'm working i'll just kind of be vague with that sorry but um i'm kind of working on games that um kind of very different like one of them's kind of a like jazz classical fusion thing and then one of them's kind of orchestral and one of them's kind of like pop music so it's like uh it's uh fun to do a bunch of different kind of styles and then um you know as i i you know i you know get requests of like here's my game hey are you available to do music let's like do this and then you know so we'll see if you know how many of those kind of pan out um you just gotta keep like my thing that I'm trying to do right now, like it's hard, you know, it's hard. It's, you know, pursuing composing and you're trying to make money and support yourself and all that kind of stuff. It's really tough. Like it's not a, it's not for the faint of heart, Yeah. but it's also, you know, in my decision to pursue this, it's like the, I can't imagine doing anything else. And the risk of 
total failure is worth it. And so I'm willing to roll these dice. So it's kind of, you know, yeah, you just try to keep it going and do the best you can and always be writing, I think is really important. And if you don't have like a project, just be writing something or like look at a picture and be like, I'll write about the piece that relates to this picture and then I'll post it. Like just constantly writing and then also putting yourself out there because like even if it's not super finished like I have some stuff on my SoundCloud and I'm like those are not good mixes you know what I'm saying but like at the time it was best I could do so it's um you just you kind of have to keep just putting it out there and then uh you know and then that it's it's the process of like you when you now I'm on a tangent sorry uh when you are composing and you create something it's like a kind of a vulnerable thing and um it's personal and you like are an artist expressing yourself blah 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 and you do your thing but then you need to you need to like let it go right you need to like put it out there get your critique or whatever and i think that's part of the process is like that's part of like the cycle of a musical piece it's like you you have the concept then you create it then you have to release it so not technically release it for sale or whatever but put it out there share it with your friends post it on the internet whatever you know you want to do send it to your mom i don't know so i'm curious uh in this hypothetical scenario if someone were to give you a million dollars to train someone to be a composer in one month so basically you have all the motivation in the world you have one month all the time in the world to take uh someone uh from just a ordinary run-of-the-mill say musician to a full-fledged composer what would you do? Where would you start? Kind of walk me through, you know, that process. Well, I would just take the million dollars and leave town and then, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, moving on. Next question. So, okay, uh, uh, no. uh, from getting, getting them to be like super good or like just getting them on the right path. Just like, a month is not much. Yeah, you're right. No, it's, that's totally fair. I think just getting them on the right path. Like, I think this, the question is more just about like, what are the big things in composition that are like that make everything else easier once you learn them? So the first thing is about training someone. And then I have what would be what's a really useful skill. They're kind of related. Okay, so for if you had a million dollars to do it for a month, there's like it's like a, you know, weighted balance scale. It's like musicianship and score study. And so I would have like a bunch of scores of all the old dead guys or whatever they're listening to or imslp is like life get on imslp um and basically just you have to like study a lot of music and practice writing a lot of music and writing by hand is a super useful thing because you really have to think about like i'm glad my teacher made me do this you really have to think about all the notes you're putting so it's that and then it's also software so it's like kind of the old and the new like in this day and age um, currently, you absolutely can't get anywhere if you can't make a good mock-up, right? So knowing how to use the software, knowing how to use um, sample libraries well, knowing how to mix well enough, like especially when you're starting out, you have to do it all yourself. So being able to get a really good, well-produced um, track is really, really important. So I would have them buy a bunch of stuff, buy a bunch of scores, and just listen to an ungodly amount of music. Like just you have to listen to so much and listen to like styles you don't even like and just try to figure out what's going on like listen to country music i listen to so much taylor swift i listen to brahms you got to listen to everything right yeah um so i think that's it's like these yeah these two balances becoming a good composer and musician and listening to what people have done before you 
to figure out where you want to take it is important. And then also being realistic in the sense of you really need to like, that's the thing before I went to Berkeley for the masters, I didn't know anything about the software. So I remember the first week of class, I like called my mom and I was like, I'm going to fail so bad. Like all these people have used these programs. Like, I don't know what a sample library is like, I'm freaking out. And so you just got to learn this, the software and the technical side is super, super important. So I guess it'd have them, they have to take classes, enroll them in a program or something, or you gotta, if you're gonna learn it yourself, really have to be studious. Um, I think if you could find like a teacher or a mentor, some someone, um, that's the best because they kind of can kick your butt. If you learn how to um, be able to look at music you're not familiar with and break it down and identify all the pieces and be able to replicate it. So in the same way that a chef like develops their palate and they can like take a sip of soup and go, there's paprika and blah, 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 blah in this. Right. Right. So the ability to, I can listen to this thing or look at the score or listen to it and understand it and break down what's happening. So that when, especially if you're a media composer, because you have to write in all these different styles. So to be able to quickly, Hey, I want you to um, listen to this Ethiopian music and I want this thing. And you're like, I've never studied that in my life. So you listen to it. And if you can quickly figure out these are the main points of it, this is what it's all about. These are the things that make it really unique. These are the uh, pieces that I should apply to the style I'm going to write. And this is how I can make it unique for me. Like the ability to basically analyze and kind of break down music, I think is like, oh my gosh, once you can get that skill and do it fast, you're like good to go. Like, especially if you're going to be a media composer or composer in general, like the the you know the more you can listen to stuff and like and training that skill is like a lot of score study and you know writing about music and listening to a bunch of different music and then when you can do it fast like it gets faster you know you'll be able to listen to it like this is the chord progression they're doing this is what makes it unique this is what you know this is kind of how they're structuring their harmony that's really makes it particular to this piece and you can once you can do that quickly that's like oh I can't tell you how many times I've like been given something I've never heard and asked to like kind of parlay it into something or mix it with another thing I haven't heard. And you can't just go, I don't understand this music, right? You have to be able to go, okay, this is what they're doing. This is the important parts of it. This is what I need to extract. Like, yeah, like a chef. So that's a really important skill, I think. What do you think is a prudent amount of songs for a demo reel? Um, you know, obviously you don't want to overwhelm them. You want to show them kind of everything you can do. What was your, what did your demo reel look like? Uh, like when you were pitching these developers? Well, um, I didn't really have a demo reel in that way. Like it would just be a SoundCloud playlist of a couple tracks. Gotcha. Um, and, um, you want to have tracks that are, cause when you list to something, right, you usually click around through the track to see if it changes, hear the different parts. So definitely right. something that has a lot of dynamic changes to it. Um, and then I would tailor it to what it is. So, uh, the you know, if I have tracks that I think would kind of fit the style of it, then I'll just send like those two and just send them those. And um, yeah, so really, I think the, I think the, the, uh, I don't really agree with the whole demo reel thing. Um, and I, I think it's nice to have your pieces titled and like their own piece and that kind of stuff. It makes it more unique. Like I don't like the rescoring other footage. I don't think is super like you can rescore other footage and then just call it something else and then make it your own track. 
but like presenting that to someone it's hard for like a non-musician to like separate the difference of association with that yeah that thing, makes right? sense it's more like studenty quote unquote oh, right I see okay um so uh yeah just a couple of your own tracks that are like tailored to that thing so they know that like you read about their game or whatever they had on their facebook or their website and really thought about like presenting instead of like like if it's a horror thing and you send them an action track they're gonna be like she didn't even look at the game right right yeah so that's why like having i like in school they made me do a demo reel but i never used it (laughs) like i've never used it that's really interesting uh, and because it's like too generic yeah. It's way too generic because they're like, here's your action, here's your sad song, here's your whatever. So it's like, I have playlists on my SoundCloud of stuff. And so if I, when I was pitching, I would just grab two tracks, make them a custom playlist or private tracks or whatever you want to do and just send it to them. And then I don't, I don't write custom music for a demo unless I'm asked. Gotcha. So I don't, because I think that can also be such a waste of time and you'll be upset if they're like, oh, we already have someone, and then you spent time writing this. Mm. And then also, you don't want to, like, make yourself do extra work. So only if they ask. And then also, I do it super short. Right. Like, 30 seconds. Like, so, like it's like if you're... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so when you were pitching for, like, uh, Balthazar's Dream, did you look at their game and say, okay, let me go make music similar to this? Or did you already have stuff kind of in the, the holster that you thought fit, and then you sent that over? Yeah, I already had stuff, so... Got it. I so I, I I was really finding a game that I thought my music would fit. It was kind of the other way around. Oh, I see. So like, this is the kind of stuff I like writing and I've written in school or whatever. And then what would kind of fit this, like what I already have. And um, but then if you're asked to do custom demo stuff, then you can do that. And then I do it sh- short and sh- it's better to be short and sweet and um, well polished. And then it's like, um, you know, when you go to do... Uh, I would I used to do like a really long demo and then they wouldn't they gave me the wrong instructions or whatever they changed their mind and then I was like upset that I wasted all this time writing like a two minute thing or three mm. minute thing yeah and so I think of it like when you go to sample wedding cakes you they don't make the entire cake like five times you get a little cupcake so it's like That's then you true. feel better you did all this time you give them a 30 second like this is kind of the thing I would be thinking for your thing or a minute like max and also yeah. they ain't got time into more than that so like don't send them like a seven minute thing that's like crazy but like one or two minute max of the pieces and then they can click around or whatever but yeah i just custom it to um their thing and then if i'm asked to do something then i'll see you know is are they really seriously asking me and seriously considering me or whatever then i'll do one Mm -hmm. or are they just oh we have like 30 people and maybe we kind of think and i was like this isn't even that great a game for me to spend time you know so then you have to decide but i think that's why like the first step i think is like creating some tracks of portfolio of stuff and going back to what i said about um writing stuff you'd be happy to be asked to do similar stuff to right because that's what they'll listen to and know you for and ask you for so if you like hate writing trailer music and then you just have a bunch of trailer tracks how is anyone going to know to ask you to write piano music, which is what you love, right? right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot. I love all the food analogies, by the way. And the, because right, they make total sense. Now, I guess I'm hungry. It's like lunch here. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But that makes the, the, the wedding cake thing is so, it's so true. Yeah. You know, I mean, I that's was, a, such a good yeah. metaphor for that. 
I was so mad because I was just like this one time like I was asked to do this just so much stuff and then like I didn't I didn't get it but it was also like they were like it was really weird I don't know maybe they were just lying to me but they were like we already have somebody and I was like next time I'm doing like 30 seconds max if I don't think it's a serious like inquiry then it's like because you also have your your yeah, so I get that. I, I think demoing's fine and demoing for free is okay. But if it's like a serious inquiry and you feel like, you know, and then also you can parlay the demos that don't work out to demo to maybe get you other gigs. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, that's, a, that's a great point. Like, say they you make a track and they don't like it. It's like, okay, well, I'll post it. And then someone else hears that. Hey, can you write that for my thing? You're like, hey, one man's trash, another man's treasure, you know? That's right. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> So, yeah, you can definitely use, unless you sign something, which you really, I don't know, if it's a small thing, you shouldn't do that. But sure, yeah. um, you can just use it for something else. Say they, they, you know, they didn't want it. So, yeah, never waste a track. No track left behind. I have so many. I should start posting this. I was thinking about that today. I have like a couple tracks in the graveyard of just they didn't go anywhere or I didn't use them for something. And I was like, these actually could work for something else. So they're pretty cool. So you should post yeah, them just, on the uh, Audio Jungle. You can try to get, oh, get, yeah. some, get some licensing juice from that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, the depth. Yeah, I was actually talking to a student about this the other day because they're like, should I make a demo reel? I was like, I honestly wouldn't. Like, just, you know, yeah, show, you know, you could have different pieces that show your variety, but cutting them together to be real and especially, I think, pairing them with. But it, uh, if it's like from games or pro- student projects, they score. I think that's totally fine. But if it's like Far Cry Three and blah blah blah, then it looks like a student, right? So that's I just think so that's interesting because I would never- not have thought that, and I was like preparing to score, rescore some footage. So that's really good to know because it makes sense. Yeah, that's that's I mean, what a student would do. You can do it, and then just like don't show it with the thing. Like make it your own track and call it something else. Don't sure. call it like Far rescore but then call it like the jungle forest party whatever and then it's your own track and then right. i don't know I mean, but again it could work for other people i've just i don't know anyone where that's really worked out mm. and i've certainly never um sent rescored footage or anything like that because yeah i think it just it's it gives the studenty vibe which you want to you want to be professional even if you don't feel that way yeah at the first part right so like a, a lot of like my SoundCloud before I got any of the games were all student projects from school, but I called them different things and gave them different pictures and sure. all that kind of stuff. I didn't show them like some of those are definitely scored to like, um, like Prince of Persia or um, uh, Shadow of the Classes or something. I think maybe I left that one called that, but like there a lot of those, like most of them were scored to game footage, but I don't say what game it's from because it's hard for them to, like a non like you know a musician like i can look at your rescored thing and go oh yeah he'd be really good at doing blah 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 but like a non-musician game developer would just be like oh how how does this relate to my game it's just on the footage of far cry 3 like they can't understand that sure yeah that makes a lot of sense it's like you want them to imagine the music happening to their game but when it's happening to far cry 3 all they're thinking about is far cry 3 exactly that is exactly the that's right on the money that makes a lot of sense well, Taylor, thank you so much. This once again, this has been this has been great. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, this conversation. This has been one of the most valuable interviews I've I've done 
period. So thank you. Lots of lots of like actionable stuff that people can do today. Um, So uh, yeah, thanks again, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.